Well, good morning. I can't tell you how good it is to be home. And uh, at times, I wondered if I was going to make it. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I, you, you guys, apparently, Father Larry put a little graphic up. Uh, you know Father Larry, you, this guy. I mean, he dresses nice. He smells nice. The guy must be rolling in the money because up at the, up at the altar, the guy smells like heaven up here. You're like, what? Is, what did you? He's like Esther. He bathes in cologne up here. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, my goodness. I thought to myself, if I had that cologne, and Susie would kiss me. <laughs> I mean, I'm like. Anyway, all he said to me is, "You can't afford it." That's what he said to me. <laughs> I so appreciate. Oh, I forgot my Bible. And I so appreciate that Father Larry and then Father Don and Father Carter pitched in. As you know, I was supposed to be home two weeks ago and uh, couldn't get home. So let me, I'm going to try to be brief. It's hard. I I can assure you that I'm only mentioning a few of the crazy things that happened. We had a tremendous, of course, we flew from, uh, Ken was, uh, Ken must be teaching this Sunday or down with his kids, but, uh, or with at least Scott are teaching. But anyway, um, we flew from Orlando to Paris uh, no big deal, Paris to, on the eastern part of the country, and then we took, well, we were supposed to fly out, so you, we got in like on a Wednesday night, uh, you know, 10 o'clock at night, you get to the, we stayed at a team missionary hostel, you know, it's just a very simple but nice, and we've been there a couple times, we know where the restaurants are, we know where to go for breakfast, and so it makes it real simple, and so Ken and I went, and listen, you talk about a trooper, apparently, I don't believe people, but people say I snore very loudly. <laughs> Ken said it sounded like heavenly music to him. <laughs> All right? You, I mean, Susie wears earplugs, but Ken, he was so kind. Anyway, so we, uh, we did that, and then you have to register your passport, even though we already had a visa and all these different things. Uh, and so we have a flight on Friday uh, on Ethiopian Airlines, and you want to take that flight. You really want to take that flight because... It's a 12 to 16 hour bus ride if you don't. And imagine a highways, I mean, you're talking about, uh, you know, with potholes, so you're going 55 and slamming the brakes, going around, going off in the sand, coming back. I mean, it's quite, I mean, the, the drivers are fantastic. I mean, they're not, uh, but, but it's, it's, even though the buses are nice and they're clean and all that and lightly air conditioned, um, well, they're lightly air conditioned, but remember, their normal temperature for eight months of the year is 130 degrees. So lightly air conditioning with them is keeping it about 100, and then that puts a little chill on them. Uh, now, me being more like a can of Crisco, as you know, uh, I mean, I'm sweating, but it was, it was quite comfortable, uh, seriously, on the bus. It just, it's super long. Uh, the bus was supposed to leave at 5.30 in the morning. Let me give you a couple tips for traveling. In some parts of the world, buses don't leave until the bus is full. So we got there at 4 to make sure we didn't get it late, because that's what we were told to do. So we were sitting on the bus by about 4.15. The bus was supposed to leave at 5, uh, 5.15. It didn't leave to 6.30 because the bus wasn't full. So we had already sat. Now, you know how hyper I am. I like to rock. Some of you know I'm like moving. All right. Ken and I are in these two little seats two hours before we even started the trip. So, I mean, it was a long day at 6.30. Uh, so we get on the thing. We go. Uh, you know, I'm not eating anything. You know how serious it has to be for me to say I'm not eating anything. I wasn't fasting. I was not eating because I did not want to have to use the bathroom along the way, uh, which is quite interesting because they stop 
on, on the side of the road, and you know, they, it's a whole different system. I'm not going to get into all that. I can't teach you everything you need to know about international traveling, but it's a different system. And uh, yeah, anyway, so, but I didn't eat, and, and that worked for me, and it worked for Ken. And so, uh, but about hour 10 out of 13, something like that, uh, we hear, well, the bus broke down maybe at hour 10. Uh, it's a little disconcerting when the bus breaks down in the middle of the desert. You remember the Sahara Desert, desert is about 80% of the country, and then the next 15% or more is the Sahela, which is like the Mojave Desert, like there's bushes. So you have Sahara, which we don't go to, but the Sahara is like you see in the pictures, it's just the big sand dunes. But then they have the Sahela, and the Sahela is like the Mojave, you know, it's not tumbleweeds, but you get like, the, it looks like desert with the little bushes here and there and all that. So it's a little disconcerting when you pull over and you find out they're breaking down uh, there. But, but one thing that you'll find in Africa and, and India, most probably, those people know how to fix things that you think can't be fixed, number one. Uh, they have not forgotten. They remind my grandfather, somebody or, you know, who can just do anything. And so they figured it out, and maybe an hour later, we're back on the road. Well, then we hear from screaming from the back of the bus. I'm thinking with all these potholes, this probably means someone's throwing up on somebody else. Uh, and so I thought they were screaming because, you know, so, someone got sick, which would be very understandable, and they're vomiting, and so they want to stop the bus to let that person off and everyone else wants to get cleaned up type of thing. Um, the bus did, in fact, pull over, but the crucial 10 seconds that you need to know that it's a fire and get off the bus for you burn to death that was the crucial 10 seconds we didn't have because Ken didn't learn Arabic like he was supposed to. <laughs> that was the job I gave him. And I did not pay attention in high school French, apparently, because I did understand the word arrete or something like that, which is like stop. It's like official, like stop in the name of the law. Arrete. Well, they were saying arrete because everyone was panicking. So that was to keep the mob violence down as people thought they were burning because everyone's fighting to get off this bus. And it was like a cartoon because there, are, there weren't chickens in the aisle, but it was big carpets and everything. And the bus was full. And then the last 100 miles, a bunch of people got on the bus who were just going the short distance. So they didn't mind standing or sitting on the carpet for that, you know. So now you understand why they want the exit row clear, by the way. So there's some logic to some things that now like, are so clear to me that never were clear to me until the bus caught on fire. So... But again, we didn't know the bus is on fire. So all, by the time we know the bus is on fire, I'm on the inside by the window. Now, Ken and I switched about every two or three hours because it's like bed sores when you're taking a bus like that. You know, you're, you're leaning this way, and then you want to, we switch, and then, well, I wouldn't, you know, in the fire, I'm at the window. Ken apparently was living right. Uh, so there we are, and, and also we realized, someone said, or an angel said, it's a fire. Uh, that got our attention. At that point, Ken and I, this is the crucial 10 seconds too late, Ken and I realized we could be dying, burning to death here. And uh, so, but the, the seats are so tight, you couldn't get up. Even if we had tried to punch somebody or something, it was, it, it, there was there's no way to get out of this bus. And uh, luckily, we didn't act a fool. Uh, I did have visions of the Crisco body burning. I did, I did have this vision uh, of the smell of that for a moment. I decided it would smell like chicken, but we're not going there for now. <laughs> so, uh, as it turns out, like a pan—I mean, imagine this is a, this is a panic. The people, just like you'd expect, in a sense, they didn't get off the like. Everyone was so afraid of dying 
that there was two doors in the bus, and almost everybody insists on going the front door, even though the side door would have got out, although the fire was in the back, but still. As it turns out, it was only, only the engine. Only the engine was in flames, and, uh, and none of us got harmed, and our luggage was fine. Uh, so, but it was a very intense thing. So I can't tell you the realization, as you get off the bus, you don't know French, you don't know Arabic, all these people are talking, blah, 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 and we don't know what's going on. All we know is we're being told to sit down on the side of the road in the rocks built on the side of the road and to wait, and it's getting dark. So I, amazingly, I was able to text. I still have the text on WhatsApp. I could read them to you. I'm like, the, good, the, the bus caught on, dear Susie, the bus caught on fire. Fortunately, we're fine. You know, uh, and, and so, you know, we have this text. I was able to WhatsApp in the middle of the Sahela Desert in Chad, which is amazing. I got better coverage there than some of you have in your houses. How that works, I don't know. But anyway, so I'm, you know, I'm kind of complaining. I, some of you know, I have a little bit of a whiner part of me that is not sanctified yet. And I'm kind of thinking, if you, <laughs> my, my father and mother are amening back there this morning. They're visiting. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of thinking, I bet if I was really anointed, the bus wouldn't have caught on fire. I'm thinking all this, you know, I bet the good missionaries don't have the bus catch on fire. Anyway, so I'm there and uh, it gets dark. In the hour that we're there waiting, I also find out from the missionary who lives in Abeche, the city we're going, I, I find out that uh, uh, there's a good chance that bus will be there by 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Now, I'm not real bright, but I realize I did the math. Uh, that means if it's 5 o'clock or 5.30 and it's getting dark, we're going to be all night uh, on the side of the road in the desert uh, in Chad. And uh, now, there was another 40 or 50 people, so it's not like I wasn't worried that the lion was going to get me. Ken and I were teasing who was faster, and I think I kind of decided I'm probably faster, but the lion was probably going to pick me. Uh, <laughs> he's kind of bony, you know, I'm thinking, uh, yeah. So he was feeling very comfortable. I was feeling less comfortable. Um, but there's all these other people around, and, and we get the word by 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, so I'm trying to be at peace about this. I'm sitting on rocks. I realized the Holy Spirit was ministering to us because we were both comfortable sitting on rocks. We got our head laid back. We got our, you know, we got our laptops and iPads and all stuff in our backpacks. We're laying there on those, looking at the sky. It was a full moon, uh, and it got dark as the most beautiful night, really. And by the time I got to peace, in an hour and a half, I'm finally at peace, no more whining. I'm thinking, hey, people die. This is, you know, I'm just on the side of the road. It, it's going to be a hassle, but one day it'll be a good story. One day. I'm thinking like months and months and months. Uh, but in any case, what happens is, in about an hour and a half, me and the bus must have left almost immediately. And these bus companies don't have extra buses sitting around. They're using them. I mean, they, they use uh, and they said there was no buses in Apeche, which is why it was supposed to take 10 or 12 hours from the bus to come from Njimina. But a bus pulls up. Uh, picks us up. Uh, we thought we were going to be out there all night. Just an hour and a half. And it wouldn't have been that bad. Some of you would have enjoyed it. Um, camping on the side of the road. But the Lord sent a bus. Uh, but then the next thing was, uh, the, the missionary guy goes, hey, that's really great, the bus came. We never would have dreamt that. He says, but hopefully you can get in by 8 because uh, the state of emergency won't let you, because of the state of emergency, the troops won't let you into the city. 
I looked at Ken and said, I don't even want to know about the state of emergency. We, we didn't hear there was a state of emergency. We don't know there's a state of emergency. So now we're, we're like looking at the clock and realizing we're not going to make it. So he said, well, if you don't make it, don't worry. You just get to sleep on the bus. Your reward is another 12 hours on the bus. I'm thinking, dear Jesus, I know I'm not your best saint. I know I'm a whiner. Please let me get through, though. <laughs> so we, we get there, and of course, it's, let's say, 9 or 8.45. It was past that, and... Uh, and I'm thinking, now, if I give up my seat, now remember, there was a bunch of people who had stood and sat for the last hour, hour and a half, who came onto the bus very late into the trip. And so it's not hard to realize, people didn't want to give us back our seats, uh, understandably, after the fire on the next bus. Uh, and Ken had to kind of uh, uh, be a little bit difficult, uh, not difficult, but he had to kind of protect my seat because he went on first. Uh, and we realized, if we get up looking for the missionary to see if we can get through the checkpoint, uh, which they say we're not going to be able to, uh, we're going to lose our seats, and we're not going to be even on the bus all night. So, but as it turns out, the missionary, our friend, comes on the bus and waves, and uh, we, got the, we got to the checkpoint, and we got there. Uh, now, we missed um, a day and a half. One of the things the Lord said to me in the side of the road, he said, it's not so important what you do in this trip, it's that you're here. And it's funny, Carmen at lunch the other day said something to me very similar to what I heard the Lord say to me uh, about that. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure all the reasons for that, but uh, we missed about a day and a half through everything that happened because we didn't fly. If we had flown, we would have had all day Friday. Uh, because we were late and all the stuff coming in Friday night, they canceled the morning. You know, so we, we were there like three days out of five days for this conference. But nonetheless, uh, uh, everything had worked out. Now on the way home, uh, at about 55 miles an hour, going down this highway, uh, a bus, we're going in, in places, most of the places where you just beep and you go around. And so on the middle of the desert, he's beeping, going around. And I don't know if the guy dropped his coffee or what, but he, the truck that we were going around swerved right in and hit right below the window. Again, I happen to be on the, Ken, I think it's maybe a holier guy than me. He seems to be more protected. I'm like his airbag on these things, but anyway. <laughs> So the, the, the truck slams into us at high speed. We go off the road into the sand. It felt like the, the bus, you know, I'm sure the, the weight on those buses is enough that they don't turn over easily. But nonetheless, it was a little dicey. We get back on. Of course, they stop. They scream for about 45 minutes. Exchange insurance, I'm guessing. Uh, uh, and we go on. But, uh, and, and then when we finally left to get out, we, we get in late Thursday night. Uh, we're staying in Njimina, again, at this missionary hostel kind of place, and um, we, you know, we're excited. We're ready to go home. We had a great trip. The Lord had did many things. Uh, we had a chance to minister to pastors and leaders, and uh, imagine doing a conference and talking about uh, sharing and pastors starting to get up in front of each other, the same denomination, and confessing their sins. When the first guy was confessing his sins, I thought it was a mistranslation. Pastors are, tend to be very prideful. They don't tend to be people who are telling their sins. And the guy gets up and starts sharing his sins. I mean, only the Holy Spirit of God. And then others did this. But, but literally, when the first guy did it, I was, if I could have interrupted, I was going to tell the translator, you're mistranslating. Because there's no way this guy is telling. He was the senior leader, and he began to share. And the Holy Spirit was clearly touching him. He began to share his sins. And it was uh, amazing. Uh, and of course, when the leader is transparent, open before God, the other pastors began, and it was, it was remarkable. That's one of the forerunners of revival. When the Holy Spirit starts convicting people in such a way, 
that they would rather confess their faults and experience God's grace than worry about what everybody else thinks, that's one of the main features that happens in revival. Uh, and so, you know, I'm so glad I didn't interrupt and, and all that, and, and it was a tremendous time. Uh, there was healings and different things, and we got to hear people with cancers and other things that had been healed from the times before. It was remarkable. So it was a, a very, very good time, but a short trip. So we get back. Friday, we kind of cruise around, and uh, there's only three or four restaurants we, we go to. Uh, you know, we do that, and then the flight leaves at 12.20 a.m. Saturday morning, but Friday night. We get to the airport. You have to go through security to get into the airport. You've got to go through it again when you go through the check-in, and then you've got to do it again the third time when you try to get ready to board the plane. So that's typical for many places in the world. And, uh, but by the time you've done all that, and you have to be three hours early, you're kind of worn out. You're sitting there, and right before it's time to board, uh, the guy comes out and says in French first, of course, and then in English, uh, by the way, there's a sandstorm, and the plane has tried to land twice, and it can't, it's gone now to, uh, I think it was uh, Nigeria it went to, but it went to some other town somewhere, and, uh, and uh, you're, you're not going to be leaving until late tomorrow. Now, the people in Chad, the Muslims and Christians treated me phenomenally. Don't get me wrong, the people were great. But if I've ever been ready to leave someplace... Uh, I was really ready to leave someplace, uh, but no reflection on the hospitality. You know, the Muslims say this. They say, we know you have a better life in America, and we know the Christians are the ones who came for the last 100 years and did the hospitals and the schools. Thank you for coming. I mean, it's a Muslim country. It's not Sharia law, but they, they are so kind, and the people are so gracious, uh, I can't tell you. And of course, it's the Muslims who are asking us to come and to cast out demons and to pray for the sick. Uh, and there is a revival uh, with the five guys I prayed with uh, that were from Darfur, which are four, the four tribe, um, each one of them in the last two years, we prayed for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit and taught them how to pray for the sick, which is just showing Jesus and then demonstrating. Those five guys, each of them planted a church of six to 16 people. Most of the churches are like 10 to 16 people, which is unheard of. Missionaries have spent their whole lives there's been places where it's in 100 years there's been one convert or zero convert all right, with some of the tribes. So the four tribe has only six recorded Christians in all of history since 600. All right, In the last, uh, uh, since 9-11, there have been thousands uh, in the four tribe. Uh, and they were the ones who were the biggest mercenaries in Sudan who were killing the Christians in what is now southern Sudan. And because southern Sudan was created, the four tribe and some of the other mercenary tribes that were the warriors killing people with the machine gun, they're out of work. And all of a sudden, they're asking all these questions and they're turning to Christ. It's just an amazing thing. They're having dreams and visions and et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, in any case, so each of the five have one church and then someone from that church has started another one all the way to five house churches from just the five guys. So the missionaries never meant anyone but the five. They're going back into Sudan, they're going other places, we'll have to edit this out of the, of the thing, but they're going back into Darfur, the land of the four, uh, and imagine if you led someone to Christ and in two years they had their own house church, someone from that church started a house church, someone from that church started a house church, someone from that church started a house church, and one more. It's unheard of. The most, and again you have to edit this out, but the most, now, the Sudanese have been, there's been something going on with the four and some other tribes 
There are many tribes, there's like maybe another 15 tribes that live in Darfur who are not interested in the gospel at all. But the, four, the main tribe, the four tribe, has been incredibly open and things are happening. And you can't really explain why is one tribe open and one isn't. How do you explain? I have no idea. Uh, but anyway, in Chad, which has been much harder even than the people from Sudan, and there are refugees across the border in Chad. That's why we go to Chad, and then there's the refugee camps and different things. But they said to me on this trip, and Ken, Ken was there, of course. He's not, he normally sits here, so he must be teaching out of town in Miami or something. But um, they said to us, the most extreme Islamist tribe here uh, is only in Chad, in the whole country, is only 3,000 people. It's not a big tribe, but they're the most extreme Islamist tribe. They said in the last two years, they have 50 converts to Jesus who are living for Jesus openly in that tribe, in the most extreme tribe. They said, and, and when I went there this time compared to the last two times, you could feel spiritually an openness over Abeshe and over that region. It felt different than when we came last time. It felt like it was under lock. It was like, felt like you're in a castle the last couple times. This time it feels like things are cracking open, and, and, and they are. The Holy Spirit is moving profoundly. Uh, and uh, it's really unbelievable. Uh, I mean, imagine people who've, since the beginning of Islam, where, uh, not that that tribe converted at that time, but imagine in all recorded history, tribes that have nobody who ever followed Jesus are now having multiplication of believers like we're not seeing in Gainesville. It's a big day. And when those people follow Jesus and get baptized, uh, Isa is in the you know, Arabic, so it's Isa, but um, you know, their life is in jeopardy. They lose their inheritance. Their family doesn't talk to them. I mean, you're not talking about some light kind of commitment to Jesus. It is an absolute and all-out commitment to Jesus. And uh, so it was an incredible trip, despite these other things. Uh, as it turned out, on Saturday, there was another sandstorm. On Sunday, we go back, and I'm all happy because it looked like a good day on the ground. And the guy said, the same guy who told us the other two days, he goes, well, it's kind of iffy today. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, you know I'm not a very good missionary. Please, <laughs> please. And uh, we got out, but he's, it was iffy, you know. But when you know, insult to injury, for two hours, they count up the plane. They had somebody who came through security, all three securities, checked in, put bags in, and disappeared. And they think he was a spy or something. So imagine, so we had an American military major was on the plane who was uh, one of the uh, State Department people there, and he understood French. And so he was telling Ken uh, that what happened is this guy went all the way through security, put all the stuff in, and then the final checks, they couldn't. So they checked and rechecked, then senior officials came, and they don't, I mean, the guy, something must be pretty crazy about whoever that guy was because he went through that and they can't find him in the airport. They couldn't. So, you know, we're dying to get home. We finally hear, we finally get in our seats and we wait for two more hours uh, for the guy who disappeared. And, and uh, you know, maybe they figured it out, but I don't know. But, but this guy, I mean, it wasn't just like a miscount. I mean, they counted and counted and counted and counted and uh, they never found where this guy was. But they determined after going all the way through the plane with all people, make sure no one's coming, hiding in the bathroom, they finally determined he wasn't on the plane. So I don't know whatever they determined, but, but uh, I felt like the Lord was saying to me, the devil knows your itinerary. He can't touch you, but he does know your itinerary. So I thought, I'm going to pray different next time he doesn't know my itinerary. I gotta, we got to change some of the way we're praying because it was crazy. Uh, it was amazingly crazy. Now, I was thinking, if this plane lasts, goes any longer, I'm going to cancel the trip to Bogota because... I had been scheduled to come home, preach here, 
rest on Monday, and then on Tuesday fly to Bogota because the church that we minister in Bogota, they, ha- they fast for a week, and then they have special services uh, on the Holy Spirit and healing, and they asked me this year to come and preach Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then two services on Sunday, and then come back on Monday, which was this week. And I actually said, I'm thinking, if we wait one more day, I just can't do it. Well, we, we did get out, so I'm like, okay, Lord, I'll, I'm going to go. And, uh, but I'm like, Lord, in the future, could I go to Hawaii? I'll go anywhere, but can I pick? Um, in any case, we go to Bogota, which is relatively incredible comfort compared to anything like, uh, I mean, we've, we've known lots of people in Bogota. We know the church. We know, you know, we stay at a, uh, you know, not quite as nice as Holiday Inn Express, but it's a nice, a nice hotel. Everything's fine. And, and uh, so anyway, so we did the special service, and the Holy Spirit fell. There was a lot of healing. Uh, there was a lot of people falling out. You know, we don't push anybody, but the Holy Spirit was moving in a very pronounced way, uh, in a way that we haven't seen for a while. And it was uh, really, really neat, and it was a wonderful time uh, for Susie and I uh, during that. But I can't tell you how happy I am to be here today. There is no place like home. Uh, I want to... Isn't that what they did? You you, You didn't watch that movie. Go back to sleep, Brad. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, listen, I can't tell you how much I appreciate Don, Father Don, and Father Larry, and Father Carter helping out and doing such a remarkable job. The one thing I don't have to worry about is uh, people going to preach God's word properly, and is the Holy Spirit going to be honored and glorified what we do? Uh, but I miss, I mean, this is home to me, and, and I can't tell you uh, how much I particularly like being at the altar in this church singing. I probably sing too loud, but I love it. I love being here, uh, and, and uh, what a wonderful thing. This morning, I want to talk about, real quick, short sermon, but nonetheless, Matthew chapter 8. Uh, I have preached many times on the healing of the leper, but I want you to look specifically at verses 8 to 11 this morning. Now, let me tell you a couple of things that are going to fit with, this, with what I've shared with you about Chad. The first thing is, epiphany is all about... Jesus in his perfect humanity. So all the Epiphany sermons or all the Epiphany uh, gospel readings are about Jesus surrendered to the Father, doing the work of the Father and showing us how to live and do the Father's work as a human being. All right, and that's what so Epiphany is all about Jesus in his obedient humanity, showing us an example. So the colleague today says, hey, in this dangerous and, and scary world that we live in, and because of the frailty of us, we can't possibly do it. Keep us, Lord. Protect us. Help us. And, and the answer then comes is submit yourself to authority in Romans 13, talk about earthly authorities, but then Jesus shows us the example how to be submitted and surrendered to the Father in his ministry. And so that's so in Matthew chapter 8, there's three. Matthew builds his gospel on ten, the Beatitudes and then 10 different healing stories. He shows that he's got authority over nature. He shows he's got authority over demons. He's got authority over sickness. It's leprosy, etc. But the three in the, towards the end of the 10 stories, healings, that Jesus do, does in Matthew are these three from Matthew chapter 8. First, you have the healing of the leper. So now Matthew, in this part of the book of Matthew in chapter 8, is showing us that Jesus, because he hears from the Father and is obedient, he will even go and minister to those who are normally excluded from the things of God. So a leper is excluded. So he goes and, and he heal, the leper comes and he heals the leper. 
Then he goes, and in the story we're going to look at a little bit more carefully here, he deals with uh, the Gentile whose servant is sick with paralysis and in some kind of horrible pain. So another person, Jesus didn't come to the Gentiles. And and so you got the leper who's excluded, you got the Gentile, and then you have Peter's mother-in-law who was excluded as a woman from the things of God. And Jesus says, by the directing of the Father, all those people who would normally be excluded, they're not excluded with me. What a powerful thing. And only, so remember the collect. Help us with all the dangers and the frailties of our nature and all the things going on. How do we possibly make in this world, Lord? And the answer is, look at Jesus. How did he do it? He listened to the Father. If we'll listen to the Father, we'll know what to do and what not to do. We're not supposed to fix everything, but we are supposed to listen to the Father. And there are people who would normally be excluded. Who could be more excluded in my thinking five years ago than Muslims? I just think, God bless them. I'm not against them. You know, God, you know, somebody tell them about the gospel. Somebody, do you think I would have thought five years ago or eight years ago, whenever it started, I would have never dreamed that we would see, I would see already in my lifetime, thousands more Hindus come to faith in Christ than I've seen Westerners from my time in India. I am now seeing hundreds of more Muslims. There are missionaries who spent 100 years, generation of missionaries who never saw one convert. And because of what they did, somehow it seems that they planted seeds and the Holy Spirit and the time on the earth and whatever God's doing. Now, they're, coming, they're waking up with dreams and visions of Jesus. Thanks, Hansel. So who in our thinking would be more excluded in our day but the Hindus that we're getting a chance to minister to and who are coming to faith in Christ and the Muslims that we're getting a chance to, that are coming to faith in Christ and are serving him incredibly faithfully. Uh, really showing us what it means that Jesus is an authority and what it means to follow. There's something deep within them that understands the principles of the stories this morning that we're going to look at. So look at verse 8. We'll go quickly, but we need to look at it. Sorry, I said 8 is verse 5. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, remember, that's his base. He was raised in Nazareth, but his base was Capernaum. Uh, When Jesus entered in Capernaum after preaching the uh, Sermon on the Mount, a centurion came to him. Now, the centurion, uh, the Romans weren't heavily into Israel at this time, but uh, Capernaum was right on a major road of which there was a lot of stuff going on. So there was a base there with 100 soldiers. A centurion is over 100 soldiers. Uh, And so he would have been a very important person. Now, he is under other people that would have given him orders, as we're going to find out. But he basically had the power of life and death in his hands. Uh, So he's a very important guy. The humility of this guy, uh, the softness of heart of this guy is amazing. So, So when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed dreadfully tormented. Now, we don't know what's going on here because most people in paralysis, of course, they're very uncomfortable. They can't move and they're maybe very depressed, but this guy's dreadfully tormented. So is it a spirit or is it a different type of paralysis? We don't know, but it was really bad. And it struck the compassion of this. Otherwise, we would consider pagan guy, the centurion, but he knows about Jesus. And so he pursues Jesus. Now, according to Luke, we find out that all this communication happened through people, through uh, 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 delegations that were sent back and forth. Matthew just tells us the substance of the communication. In Luke, we find out that they never actually met in person. 
which is interesting if you're, uh, it's interesting, you know. It's interesting. All right. So, and Jesus said to him, I, this is emphatic I, I, I myself will come and heal him. He didn't say I myself will come and pray, I'll come and check on it, I'll come and visit. He says, I, I myself. And the strongest, so there's something about the way this guy asks and the humility of heart and the concern it was for his servant. Now, in 2 Samuel chapter 30, I think it's verse 9, but it's 2 Samuel 30, you get a story of a servant whose who's, uh, uh, owner was a Malachite. And he was sick, and this, he tells, he reports in 2 Samuel chapter 30, I think about verse 9, he reports that he was sick and his owner just left him. So the ancient world, people didn't care about their servants or their slaves, right? So, so it, this is amazing. This guy, he's a big to-do, he's got all the authority and everything, and yet he really cares that his servant, who's been faithful to him, he cares about him. And Jesus finds it absolutely compelling that this guy is reaching out with such kind of humility and for the servant. And, and Jesus says, I, I myself, I'll go. Now remember, Jesus wasn't sent to the Gentiles. So Jesus, everywhere he goes, he touches people except for Gentiles. All right? Because he wasn't sent to them. And, and, and so Jesus says something very surprising, uh, and we're amazed. And yet this guy knows that if Jesus comes into his house to heal the person, then Jesus will be ritually unclean, and it will cause a problem in his ministry to the Jews. And so the guy says, no, 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 you don't even have to come. I mean, there's a working faith that says, I'm going to bring my friend for two miles, and I'm going to carry him, and I'm going to bring him down to the... I mean, there's different kinds of faith. This guy had the trusting kind of faith. Look what he says. The centurion answered him. When Jesus says, I am fabulously come, the centurion hears. The people come back and say, he's coming. Jesus is on his way. And he goes, oh, no, no, that's not this. No, 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 don't, don't tell him to come. Tell him to stop. It's all right. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy. you should come under my roof but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed you know devotionally it's not in the liturgy itself but devotionally at communion many of us pray that prayer but we we've adjusted it we say lord i'm not worried that i should come under my roof but speak the word only and my soul shall be healed. Some of you hear us mumbling up there, and you might wonder, I think it's on the screen, but you might wonder, what in the world are they saying? That's what we're saying. We're mumbling through it, but Lord, because it's so true. Jesus, if you'll touch and clean, and we take this communion, and we do, open ourselves and turn to you, everything's possible, Lord. Oh, that we could please you, Lord, and be holy people. I'm not worthy. To, to know our unworthiness is the thing that characterizes the nature of what it means to be a son or daughter. Do you remember Jesus said that the, the, the chief characteristic of a believer is blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the people who know they don't deserve it, who know they don't have it, who know they're weak and they're frail. Uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord. That's what the believer starts with and ends with. The believer never grows out of the understanding that at any moment we could be doing anything if it's not for the grace and mercy of God. This guy, the last guy, excluded, Gentile, Roman, the last guy we'd expect. And he sees it in such a crystal clear and beautiful way. But Jesus comments on this, 
And it has something to do with our current events, even the testimony this morning that I gave you. Lord, I'm not worried that you should come to my roof, verse 8b, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Nine, for I am a man under authority. I mean, he's like, hey, look, I tell my servants what to do. I tell my soldier what to do. When I say it, under the penalty of death, they do it. But he's also, I'm under authority. So the parallel is Jesus under authority. Whose authority is Jesus under? The Father. He says, I only do what the Father told me to do. So he says, Jesus, I get it. You're hearing from heaven and you do it. And because you're hearing from heaven, I know I can count on you. Because I understand the principle of authority. When, when, when the people above me tell me to do something, I do it. They don't have to wonder, am I going to do it? What he's saying is, I understand what it means that you're Lord. When the Muslims come to Jesus, they get it that what he says is an option. They get it. He's Lord. We have forgotten. We have forgotten in the West the seriousness of the fact that it's not that we have to do what Jesus says. We get to because he's Lord. And this guy understands. I know it's like being an authority. I do what I told you, but the people under me do what they told And that's how it is in the kingdom. Notice Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you guys don't get this as good as this guy. Can you imagine? He's telling the disciples, you could learn something from this guy. Or nine, nine, I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I, come, I say to this one, go, and he goes. And another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. We live in a time and age where people think they can rewrite the Bible. Rewrite the obvious. Tell us things that the Bible says aren't good, saying that it is good. And people who are more worried what people think than what God thinks. We're living in an age where people whose generations of parents and grandparents and great-grandparents serve the Lord, and today they have no interest. When Jesus heard, he marveled, and he said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, disciples included. Not even in Israel. The very people who have the covenants, who have the promises, who have the grace, who have me. I can't find people who understand what it means that I'm Lord, like I'm finding in this centurion. And I say to you, listen to this from our testimony today. I say that many will come from the east and the west. I'm seeing it. It's unbelievable. We're seeing the last people on earth who ever seemed to be open to Jesus even 25 years ago. We're seeing Hindus, the number one group of people on the earth by population, coming to Jesus. At the, that's where Hinduism started. In 2014 or whatever it was uh, that we were there when the revival happened, they had an earthquake in June. The epicenter of the earthquake was the original temple to Hinduism, and it was destroyed in that earthquake in 2014. People are waking up who wouldn't even listen, wouldn't care, and they're waking up and they're falling in love with Jesus Christ. No one could have dreamed, we could not have imagined this day. And Muslims coming and saying, please send us, send us pastors and people to come and cast out demons. We know the Christians can cast out demons. We know they can send them. Now they don't want to be Christian, they don't want to, but, but when they encounter Jesus and they're, they get healed, what do they do? 
They want to read the holy writings because the Quran says they're supposed to read the holy writings. They read the holy writings and they fall in love with Jesus. Heaven's going to be full. It might not be full with the people we expected to get in. On Jesus' day, the people that were expected to embrace his message did not. We've got to pray more for our families and for the people around us. The Bible promises you and your household, but we've got to pray. We've got to pray a lot. We're seeing in our family cousins and different ones that have come back, but mostly at the end. We, want, we need to start getting them coming back before the end. I'm, great, I'm grateful for the end salvation. That's better than nothing. But, but we, I want to see our families serving the Lord faithfully long before the end. I say to you, Levin, that many will come from east and west and they will sit down and fellowship in the great banquet in heaven. They'll be there with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons, of the, the people with all the blessings, all the opportunity, all the information, the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, you get it, now go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done unto you. And his servant was healed, the self-same, New King, King James, self-same, the New King James, the same hour. Something fundamentally has to happen with us as believers. And it starts with what we focus on. If we focus on what other Christians are doing, or what the church says, or whatever, if we're not focusing on the Bible and what Jesus says, we could end up being the people who end up weeping and gnashing of teeth because we thought we were okay. I've told you before, when I played high school football, I was not one of the gung-ho people. Okay? I didn't want to be in the front, or they would try to make an example, and they'd have you run again to show everybody. I didn't want to be that guy. Never wanted to be in the front. But if you're in the back, in the old days, they'd kick you. I know it's hard to believe today, but they'd kick you. So I didn't want to be in the back. I just tried to run, run fast enough to be in the middle, because if you're in the middle, no one's going to bother you. That doesn't make for being a very good football player, as you might imagine. That's how a lot of Christians are living. They're, they're looking at the people around thinking, oh, I must be okay because I'm in the crowd. You will not be okay for being in the crowd. You will only be okay, and it's simple to be okay, is if you hold Jesus' hand and walk with him every day. Because churches have left the scriptures. They have left the very things they claim they believe. And with their own mouth and testimony, they have deserted it. No church has done worse in the last 75 years than the Anglican and Episcopal churches in terms of departing the teachings that they have held for the centuries. No one has, so I'm not poking at, I mean, look, there's a lot of liberal Methodists and Baptists, all, there's all kind of bad people, but no one's done any worse than we have. And the only answer for us and for the others is that we would make the decision to follow carefully and closely to the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way to avoid big mistakes is to make sure we're making the little decisions that we can make every day, then you will be fine in the big things. The Lord spoke to me that years and years ago. I asked, oh Lord, I don't want to have an affair, embarrass my wife and the ministry and church. I don't want to have these problems. And he said to me, if you'll follow me every day, there's no day that you'll be above having an affair or doing something this or doing it. But he said, but if you'll follow me every day and do the little things, 
I'll take care of the big things. You won't mess up on the big things if you do the little things. We got to follow him every day. And then maybe God would visit us in a special way and anoint us in a special way so that the people around us would get hungry and thirsty for righteousness. We have to be righteous. And that's only going to come by our commitment to give God our best. Our best will never be enough, but he deserves nothing less than our best. We don't give him our best because if we give our best, we get a prize. No, we give our best knowing it will never be enough. But the people who reach out to him in faith and obedience, he blesses and he makes our efforts fruitful and he changes us and he makes us holy. And what God wants to do with us as a family here is for us together to walk with Jesus, every, not being self-righteous, not being judgmental, but people who follow Jesus every day, holding his hand, being a light uh, where he's planted us to be. And then together, we're praying that the Holy Spirit would come and visit us uh, in his presence in a great way. There's times where the presence of Jesus has manifested by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it becomes a beacon and a, and a light to the lost. Christians, you know when revival comes, Christians become jealous and they badmouth you. So you, just so you know, but non-Christians fall in love with Jesus. If the Lord would send us revival in our parish, the lost will come and serve him. Christians will be telling us why it isn't so. That's how every revival, you read about them, that's how it works. The church fights against the spirit when he comes to renew his church. I'm willing, I know about you, I'm willing for that to happen. I'm just, but dear Jesus, we really need you. I really need you. Stand with me. Lord Jesus, Lord, we know that we're not worthy. But Lord, you love us so much. But Lord, we know we please you when we ask for more. We ask for more godliness. We ask for more holiness. We ask for more of your presence. We ask that together we could come and worship you and serve you. Lord, that our times together would be so full of your presence that we'd be transformed. We know our best. You deserve our very best. We know it'll never be enough. But that your spirit will bless us and make us fruitful as we give you our complete and best efforts. You add up and you give more and you fill in the gaps and you purify. Lord, we really need you. Lord, we, we, we don't know how to contain the joy of seeing you moving all over this earth and waking people up at the wonder of your gospel. And Lord, we confess for us, it's in some ways been old news and, and we haven't been the best stewards of your gospel and your word. Lord, we pray that you would turn our hearts back to you and your word. 
And Lord, that together we would be a family that walks with you in this world. Uh, Lord, that your spirit would visit and dwell richly, Lord, in this church and family. Lord, we thank you for all the other churches in Gainesville that preach your gospel. We don't have any sense that we're somehow any better than anybody else, but we pray for this church that you would visit us, that you would transform us, that you would help us to be people who would be so committed to you in such humility and simplicity that your gospel would go forth, that we could accomplish the mission that you've given us to do. Lord, this is your word, and this is what you've asked of us, and so we pray in agreement with it. And Lord, we thank you in advance. We thank you in advance. And Lord, now I pray for healing in our bodies. Lord, for healing of depression and emotional heartache, Lord. Despair. Lord, against the sinking feeling that things are never going to get better, Lord, we rebuke the lies of the enemy. Lord, pour out your Spirit. As we take communion together and we celebrate your presence, you live in our hearts by faith. And we pray, Lord, as we bless the bread and the wine this morning and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you feed us. Lord, that something could happen here together in our worship that would allow us to transcend, Lord, the bondages of this earth. Lord, make us whole. Make us lovers of this world that you died for in the same way you did. We ask these things in the most precious and wonderful name, the name of Jesus, and in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven.